to Everything is Television. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm joined by Keith Krupko. What up, what up? <laughs> and Robert Adams. We're currently watching AMC's Preacher. Tonight we are going to, in lieu of no new Preacher episode, unless you want to talk about talking Preacher. Uh, have you watched it? No. Yeah, I haven't watched it no, either. I'm not interested. I'm not a Hardwick fan. I, no. I haven't watched it. Yeah, neither uh, so tonight we're going to... First, what we'll do is we'll we'll uh, talk about any sort of uh, lingering thoughts we had about the pilot. I watched the pilot with the director's commentary. Um, Rob, you watched a little bit of it. Did you watch the whole thing or just a little bit? I watched an hour of it. Okay. And then I had to, I just, I had to turn it off. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to... Or at least Keith and Rob will do a deep dive into the comics and talk about where they're at with the with their with their read of the comics. And uh, in that section, I'll put the timestamp in the uh, show notes. But we're going to do we're going to be talking about all spoilers from the comics. We don't know how much of that will pertain to the actual television show. Um, my money is on not a lot because it seems pretty different from the comics so far. But you never know. So if you're uh, weary of Spoilers, you might want to avoid the comic talk in the second half of this episode. So let's start by um, jumping into. Uh, I had a, I had so I watched the uh, I watched the pilot with the director's commentary, and I was I don't know what I was hoping for. I was hoping for like interesting conversation mm-hmm. like interesting talk about the series but pretty quickly i realized and they i think they even say as much like they're releasing this right after the first episode is released so they can't spoil anything they can't talk in depth about anything so it's more or less um seth rogan and evan goldberg just kind of joking with each other back and forth and you get a couple of insights of like how it was made, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not what I was hoping for. And the first thing it made me think of was like how director's commentaries have just become another like DVD commodity, right? Like I remember when commentaries were first getting popular, it was like, hey, listen to, you know, Martin Scorsese talk about Goodfellas 20 years after the fact. Right. Now it's like, all right, we wrapped on shooting next week. You're going to be in there doing the commentary. And it's just like, I want, I would like some kind of perspective in commentary. Well, you know, it's funny because I used to be a huge kind of physical media collector and loved buying DVDs. But now that everything's moved digital and I've, I've stopped really buying anything uh, physical anymore. Are commentaries still kind of standard on all DVDs as an extra or have commentaries themselves kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit? I have no idea. I think there's still a bonus on a, on a lot of the discs. I, I see it. I don't listen to them very often anymore um, because like you, I don't buy a ton of DVDs or Blu-rays anymore. Um, the last time I was really, really into them was back in when the Lord of the Rings were coming out. I, you know, I watched all the commentaries for that. Mm-hmm. I like to watch the commentaries on, um, on Disney movies because I like to hear like the animation stories and stuff. So that's what I was looking for. Just like you, Justin, I was looking for something extra. And I got two guys standing in a room awkwardly talking about that's a real plane. That's not a real plane. Right. I mean, it. <laughs> It, it was pretty bad. It's pretty obvious why Seth Rogen doesn't have a famous podcast <laughs> because he's not a great talker. I guess he's a great, he's a better shower. Um, I even fast forward to like some of the scenes. Okay. Here's the Eugene scene. Right. Let's get something. And they just kind of like brush over it. Yeah. And at that point I'd been, I've been watching it for, I don't know, 50 minutes or so. I didn't even wait till the end. I was like, I need to put something else on. You know, I was listening to it while I was driving. Um, I, I guess the stuff that I liked, they couldn't go far enough in. They, 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 they mentioned the scene of killers on the, the whiskey bottle, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. And they say, it, which may or may not come into play later. Right. They basically just say, there's an Easter egg. If you're paying attention. 
<laughs> that's more exactly. or less all they say. Well, I kind of feel right. like too with with the uh, advent of Reddit, that's kind of yeah the commentary now, where you can you can almost get better insight on Reddit than you can with a production kind of um, sanctioned commentary, you know, because they don't want to, you know, divulge too much or they can't divulge too much, but then you go on Reddit and there's somebody who literally after a pile of any show airs has gone frame by frame to capture whatever, you know? So I kind of feel like people have found that, type of analysis and insight elsewhere i wasn't i didn't listen to the commentary track Mm -hmm. and i wasn't really um interested in doing that yeah uh there were i i I pulled out a couple of things that i thought were kind of interesting i mean they do they 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 talk they talk an an okay amount about adapting the comic to a television show and um some and how they would handle that, which I thought was kind of interesting. The first thing they mentioned I thought was interesting, and I wanted to bring this up just because I was curious, Rob, if you had seen this or not. They said in the beginning that the cinematographer for this pilot was the same cinematographer as the pilot episode of Freaks and Geeks. Have you seen that um, show, Rob, Freaks and Geeks? Shamefully, I've not seen Definitely Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, you, you have to watch Freaks and, and Geeks. Um, Everything I've heard about it is great. It's just, it's on the list. It's just, I've never made it back. Yeah. yeah it's one of the greatest. It's in my top television shows of all time. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the cinematography from their pilot episode. I don't think it's anything it spectacular. Jump, I just, doesn't jump out at me. Yeah, yeah. Just the connection. I love right. It Apparently, he has two eyes. Right. Right. They talk about that a lot. Um, something else that I thought was interesting, more on kind of a, logistical level and sort of how you would approach making something like this. They talk about how his suit jacket and the silver tips on his collar are two very sort of impractical and unrealistic touches. Like why would a preacher be wearing a suit jacket and why would he be have metal tips on his collar, Mm -hmm. but they look cool. Mm -hmm. And so they did it. Right. Even though it doesn't make any sense. And I just thought that was interesting because I feel like, especially from my perspective, I would get so wrapped up in that just doesn't that make any sense. Right. But it, ultimately, it's kind of like it's a visual medium. You have to make it look cool. That's why you're living here in Virginia Beach. So there's a, but there's a lot LA. of stuff. That's kind of the reasoning behind a lot of a lot of stuff. It just looks cool. Yeah. And Keith, there's this. You might be distressed to hear this. They were very happy with the cornfield scene. Yes. Oh. But I will say, rewatching it, a dead guy does slide over onto the gas pedal. I, I, I did see that. <laughs> On rewatch, I wanted to address that yeah. up top. They do. I, I watched it again with my wife, and um, they do resolve the, uh, the hand on the gas pedal. Yeah. So I, I retract, redact. And, my... and the S-turns, the slalom mm-hmm. through the, the cornfield. How do they address that part? Uh, I it think, looks cool. I think that falls under the <laughs> looks cool category. Yeah, it does, and it does. It does. It looks pretty cool. They also talk about how Hugo Root was very two-dimensional in the comic and how they very purposefully wanted to change that for the TV show and make him a little bit more sympathetic. So, not too... I just want to throw that in there to toot my own horn a little bit. Oh, <laughs> yep, yeah. You nailed, you nailed that one. <laughs> Um, Are we keeping score? On this <laughs> I think we should. Another thing I thought was interesting that Seth Rogen said during Cassidy's introduction scene. Rob, did you catch this? Where uh, Ro- Seth Rogen is talking about during Cassidy's introduction scene, he says kind of offhandedly, "I'm pretty sure nobody understood anything Cassidy was saying during the scene, but you sort of get the point from his tone, so we didn't bother with you know subtitles or cleaning it up or anything." One point for Rob. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, dead body slides over the gas pedal. Negative one point for me. They also say, and this is another point for me that I brought up in our expectations episode, that Arseface's backstory has changed. The influences behind it has changed, and it will be a mystery throughout the first season. I don't know if they'll resolve it in the first season, but they said it will be a source of mystery in the first season. Okay. Which to me seems very strange. Like that's where they're going to put their attention. Yeah. 
Well, I I mean, that to me seems like you could ju- you could just have one good idea and just go with it. Like, oh, that's that's a good idea, but I don't know what that good idea could be. I mean, the comic book pretty much kind of sums up how that could happen. I'm trying to think about what what other thing could happen. Is that a taboo a taboo that they can't touch? I don't know. It seems like maybe the motivations may have changed a little bit. Um, obviously, the actual, you know, maybe uh, artist has changed or did change. I don't really know. All I remember is them saying that it's changed. It's been updated. His whole sort of aesthetic has been updated yeah. from grunge to whatever. Oh, hey, another point for me. They mentioned that the the mask... You know, they had to do a certain thing for um, so that he could still act with it oh, on. Right. Yep. Woohoo! Toot 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 toot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the only that was so that was all I got from the commentary. Like I said, there wasn't there wasn't much there. Um, if you're incredibly bored, and if you're incredibly bored, and you want to watch the pilot again, but you haven't already watched it again, I would recommend watching with the commentary. Then I'll never <laughs> I'll sh- never watch it. Yeah. Okay. I would not recommend the commentary. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up that we didn't get to talk about in the pilot episode that I wanted to talk about, I just forgot to bring it up, was the scene between Jesse and the boy's mother mm-hmm. when they're talking about the, he confronts her on the abuse and she ultimately says that she likes it, right? And in the commentary, all Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg had to say about that scene is, this scene is really weird, and she acted it really weird, but we love it. That's pretty much all they had to say. But I got the impression from them that by the end of the scene, her liking the abuse was was the truth, more or less, or at least the truth at the moment. Whereas when I got to the end of that scene the first time I watched it I was thinking she was just lying the whole time and she was just saying to that to try up. and cover it up so did you Keith did you get that same impression no I I felt like and I guess maybe because I was being really influenced by the comic I was looking for injections of the comic book attitude and feel and in the comic book she would absolutely like that and would somehow in the comic book probably prove to be even more um, disturbed than the guy, mm-hmm. you know, oh, okay. um, like in the comic book, it would probably be revealed that he would talk to the guy and the guy would be like, she's making me do this, man. And it's really <laughs> weird. And I want to stop. You got to help me. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so I was actually kind of trying to anticipate where they'd be injecting some of that. Um, and so my, my take, I think was a little to the other way. Although right now I think either, either approach works and Mm. she did act it really weird because in the beginning she really conveyed a sense of fear Mm. and then it quickly turned. So you're like, why were you, why did, why were you so convincing 10 seconds ago? And now you're like. Oh, you shouldn't have taken that that way. I didn't mean it that way, you know? So I think her acting is throwing me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I hope they do something with it. I hope it's not just like the joke of she likes it and then they move on. Mm-hmm. I think that's the joke. I hope not. I, I, I think that they were trying, like you said, trying to inject the tone of the comic into it because maybe we're not going to be able to see all that stuff that we saw you know, in the series. And I was with you all the way until you said something about how she wasn't acting it right. And for me, that was why I went that way because the way she was smiling and kind of like sniggering, it was almost like not embarrassed, but just like, yeah, I just, I just felt like she was just into it. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It makes sense. I just, I don't know. I guess. I don't remember her from the comic. I may not have gotten to no, it. No, she's not. Um, no. But uh, it just, I just thought it was weird. Um, so, Keith, you, you watched the pilot again. Did you have any other 
two takeaways, any new insights? Well, two things. Number one, I wanted to um, talk about watching it with my wife who has not read the comics. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I was curious about, and I kind of read some people on, but I didn't really get to experience until I watched it with her. It's just how confusing the first episode is. Yeah. For yes. someone who has no connection. Did either of you guys get to watch it either again with somebody who has no connection with the comic or did you get to talk to somebody in the last you know week about the show who has no connection with the comic? I just want to know if you had any in, well, uh, interactions. That's part of the reason why I didn't read any more of the comic than I did is because after going to the subreddit and after re-listening after listening to to our podcast and listening to a couple of the other podcasts and going to the subreddit I I started to realize like if you had not read any of this comic this pilot has to be like just incredibly confusing like there's just so much stuff that is sort of assumed or that you have to assume and for someone who's read the comic I like the subtlety of it um I sort of like the unexplainable the the unexplainable nature of it but as someone but I could imagine as someone not who has not read the comic just being like completely lost right um so I I wanted to be able to kind of I wanted to be I wanted to have a voice on our podcast representing Someone who the was ignorant, who right, who was not that familiar. And you with you have probably <laughs> taken that uh, that right. post. I've actually gone back and proactively erased all of my memories of the comic. <laughs> That's not hard for you to do, though. Your your memory resets about every week. Right. So I have a good friend that's watching. She hasn't read the comic. Of course, everybody know like kind of knows about it, like knows that it's a thing, but she hasn't read it at all. Um, she likes Tulip best and I haven't really had the in-depth conversations that I want to with her, but I want to know where, like how she thinks about what she thinks about Cassidy and what mm-hmm. she thinks, you know, the word is that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I'm haven't had that yet. I will bring that back next week. However, I did listen to a podcast, a different one where they were basically having a debate whether or not he was a vampire or not. And I thought, <laughs> I, we we go in knowing that, but but yeah. I thought it was pretty obvious. Yeah, that, that that's what it was with the the holy water and and that kind of st- and, the, and, and the sunlight and stuff, right? Their Taking neck, their right. blood. <laughs> yeah, staying in the show. Right. I mean, I guess they could be confused just in the sense of kind of what I said before with how cavalier they're treating Cassidy's fear of the sun. Yeah. Um. But yeah, my my wife at first. When he started fighting, she was like, wait a minute, is he, is he supernatural? And I was like, oh yeah, you wouldn't even, you know, I mean like you see Cassidy and you know, you read one issue of the comic, you're like, oh, vampire. Mm-hmm. And they just don't spell any of that out. And <clears throat> I think it'll be interesting to, to see how they seek to clarify their stories. They move forward. If they just, because it sounds like with ours face, they're, they're not interested in clearing up his backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just interested to see how clear they care to be about their about their story. Because, you know, the angels, there's a lot that they could clear up. And then there's a lot that they could just keep, you know, shrouded and, and crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the second thing I wanted to say was, how do you feel about the first time Jesse using the word it being on a innocent? kills himself do you like that they're already attaching this sense of danger with his power that you think the first thing could just be funny you know he just says this guy and he goes and he does something comical but instead he goes you mean that doesn't result in death doesn't result in death i mean they're they're setting the bar kind of high straight away saying like Yep, the word kills, and Jesse just killed someone. Yeah, I'm fine with it. You're fine with it? Okay. I thought it was funny. Oh, okay, so we got the ignorant and the (laughs) psychopath. (laughs) 
Now I just need to figure out what what, I, what my role is. I, I think I'm just I'm glad to have the, and again this could be the perspective of someone who's read some of the comics, but I'm glad to have the sort of uh, that cliffhanger out of the way. You know what I mean? I'm glad that we don't have to sit through two or three episodes of them Dude building run into his mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, just that would have been terrible. Yeah, You're right. Of, of them just being like, you know, the writing is on the wall that he's going to do something bad with this thing. And for, you know, two or three episodes or half a season, we're just waiting for it to happen. I'm kind of glad they got it out of the way. Yeah. And this is the last thing I'll say on, on this point. It's just, I, I kind of, I got to the end. I got to the conclusion of the, um, grail agent. Remember in the comic, uh, Jesse tells a guy to count 3 million grains of sand. Yes. And I got to the resolution on him and he finishes and then he comes back to civilization and that I thought was maybe an easier transition into the power of the word and something that I found funnier that I was just thinking maybe, you know, that, that felt to me like easing into the pool. So not saying have a person count sand, but something like that something would have just been counting sand and cutting and your heart out in front of your mother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The happy medium there, uh, I, I, I would have been interested to see what they came up with. But uh, it'll be interesting where they go from there with the word. Look, Keith, in my defense, that was, what, the 35th or 36th person that died in that episode? <laughs> so you'd been desensitized. I mean, it's not like life is, um, life is sacred in this series. Right. <laughs> okay, so you're not the bloodthirsty psychopath that I thought you were. You're just, you're just desensitized. All right, well, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the comics. So if you are unfamiliar with the comics and you are trying to avoid spoilers for the TV show, go ahead and uh, turn this off. And if you're still listening for one second, um, the reason why I <laughs> wanted to talk about this is because I feel like there are no spoilers for the comic. I, I doubt that they are going to draw much in terms of storyline. Or characterization. Yeah, I think some of the stuff we'll be talking about, maybe the more politically incorrect stuff, um, probably is not going to make it into the show. But, you know, just in case something slips out. Mm -hmm. So you guys have read a majority of the main series so far. I stopped after the Hunter's storyline. Um, so I don't have much much else to say about it. Uh, I'll try and be a casual observer, I guess, <laughs> interject any questions I have, but so I get, I get why you stopped there. And that makes sense. So that there's a voice for the rest of the season, different than ours with, without the, um, in the comics, they did this and in the comics, they did that. Right. And, I, and I'm sure as the show, you know, turns into its own thing, that stuff's going to fall away. And it'll be interesting to hear from you because you won't have that perspective. But I'm sorry that you stopped at that point right there because I re-listened to our episode last week and you were talking about how it's like from zero to 60 throughout the entire thing. Uh -huh. Well, that's right when it starts to slow down. Oh, really? That's right when it's you get like Cassidy's backstory and then there's, there are like entire issues where there is no action mm -hmm. and it's just about the characters. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's necessarily well written and great in you know in 38 Rob's world, 16 year old Rob's you know it was it was pretty probably pretty deep <laughs> at that point, right? <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Are you having it's, a flashback right now to being 16, being like, "This like, is well, Shakespeare, man. This is so deep, dude. This is so deep." <laughs> um. But you missed all of that stuff. And I don't know if that's what you were looking for. And when I, I was actually reading an, an issue today and I was like, this is the issue Justin should read so that he can see that it's not all crazy action, mm -hmm. that there is some like down to earth stuff. Um, Keith, what do, you, what do you think of him stopping right at Hunters and not getting to any of that other stuff? Yeah, I completely agree. It is both the best place and the worst place to stop. I feel, I feel like that was their transition into the story where 
I, I don't know how comics work and worked back then, but it kind of felt like they they had a strong launch. But just like with TV, you're not sure if you're going to get picked up or whatever. And they do get picked up and they kind of rush out this kind of, you know, story that is is more sensational than anything else. It doesn't hold up in terms of logic. It doesn't really push characters forward in any way. Um, funnily enough, it does have some running jokes that run from there through the rest of the series. So it's not a completely throwaway storyline, but um, I think it's the, it's the low, it was one of the lowest points of the series for me. After yeah, that, I think so too. Rob is absolutely right. You get, Cassidy's backstory, you get more character. Each each movement after that follows a pattern where in the beginning you just get a backstory. You know, you get um Jesse's father's backstory in fighting in Nam. Um you get Tulip's backstory. And those I thought were actually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um having said that, I think Rob is right though that it's not it's not to a level now where I'd probably say you have to go back it's it's revelatory but it does it does even out after that and I think they they find their voice there's there's no more Jesus decides mm-hmm. you know from that point probably Odin Quincannon is the closest they get ever get back to that level of kind of shock value yeah they're, they still try and shock, but um, it's it's never subtle, but it's <laughs> different. Never. Well, here's here's one thing that I guess, and, and we can kind of jump around. I guess, and we don't we don't really care about having a logical flow to this. Just want okay. So, um, one thing that hit me in the comic books, and I wanted your your input on Rob is each. Big villain that comes Odin Quincannon. Um, I haven't gotten to the end of of Hair Hair Star, Hair Star, but there's also the um other guy that works for the Grail, um, I Eisenstein, and some other <laughs> Eisenstein. Yeah, was that his name? Yeah, wasn't Sorry. Eisenstein? It's not Einstein. It's like Eisen. It's like the director. I thought Eisenstein. Anyway, whatever. The the culminating showdown is usually always disappointing in terms of scale. Did you did you read it that way, kind of moving forward, where the final confrontation is usually just a shootout and someone gets shot, and that's that's kind of that's kind of it. Yeah, the buildup is always better, and yeah. it's always it's always more interesting to see how they get there right. than how they resolve it. Right. I also think their villains are just flat out lazy, because they, to make someone a villain, they give him like some quirky habit or mm-hmm. something, and they make him a racist, mm-hmm. and you're a villain. Exactly. There's no there's no nuance. You know, there's no relatable villains. Mm-hmm. And and there's no interesting villains beyond just the just their sadism, you know? And I feel like it it's interesting to read Preacher and then to think now some of the biggest arguments you hear against the uh all the comic book movies that we have going on now is that no one has a compelling villain. You know, that's one of Marvel's problems. From Ultron to I think there's like close to 30 villains that they've faced throughout all of their movies, but I can't name more than like five, you know? And it's interesting that Preacher, which again, you're going back, you know, 20 years um, almost, uh, echoes the same, the same problem, you know? They just, they just don't really have a compelling villain. Which is another reason why I'm happy to see the show diverging so much. Because these characters, they just don't hold up on the follow-through for me. 
they they're interesting in some ways in terms of their characterization. I like I like the way that they're drawn. Usually they they have some aspect to how they're being realized on the page that I find interesting. Like Quinn Cannon has those glasses that always have those kind of rings that are going on in the lenses uh, that make his eyes kind of always look perpetually. Um, the only thing I can think of is uh, the Wes Anderson movie. They're like Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coke bottles. But, but his exactly, y- you have this feeling like inside is like a kaleidoscope, you know, is going on mm-hmm. in his eyes. So when you read him, do you read him with like a, a like a squeaky a high pitched voice? Absolutely. absolutely. Nice. <laughs> Me too. So yeah, I just found that I found that interesting. And then while we're on Odin, you you kind of said and you nailed it, they they kind of make the villain a racist and have some sort of sadistic quality. Do you think Odin Quincannon is going to be in the show both a racist and a meat humper? One or take, the other. If they want to take the lazy route, that's what they do. Um, we haven't seen enough of the show to see exactly like how they're going to take this. I think that might be their their governor, their their over the line stuff. You know that he is really really into his meat. <laughs> um and and I think that that would be maybe something okay look this is crazy this is f- you know directly from the book it it's something that we can get away with where we don't have to show it too much we just we can imply it we can do crazy things like I I'm pretty sure they could have that big giant yeah. woman creation yeah like they could show that and and get away with it um in that town whether he's a racist or not, I'm not sure because it doesn't line up right. We haven't seen like we haven't seen enough uh, minority characters to really get that perspective, you know. Except for the what the uh, what's the one guy the uh, the guy that they beat up the whole in the comic book or in the show. I'm I'm thinking about the guy in the show. You mean at the pep rally? No, no, no. I, I'm talking about the only like sense of racism that I really got from the show oh, was the, the guy who was the guy and the re- yeah, the, the soldier oh, okay. guy. Um, and in the storyline at salvation, they kind of have a section where the black people live and then the white people live. Right. And they don't interact. And the, everybody in the town, you know, is pretty racist, mm-hmm. but Odin is super racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that they're going to have that they've set it up, you know, to have reason reason for him to be racist. Yeah, because people better get ready to hear the N word pretty quick. If they, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, if they hold AMC, to the Odin, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. They use it in Hell on Wheels. Yeah. Oh yeah, but wasn't that a hist? Was that a historic show? Hell on not, Wheels. It was not a historic. It's fiction. Show. It's, I mean, it's fiction. It's I I mean sure I, I I I'm not sure from what I've seen I mean look like Rob said we've only seen one episode there hasn't been race doesn't seem to be at the right. tip of their although there was that pep rally scene where people are getting upset because they changed their mascot from a Native American to a icon to a bulldog or something right he's getting beat up <clears throat> so. I'm getting hints of it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they better be willing to go a lot farther if they want to hold to the uh, to the comic book. But um, that that kind of brings me to another area of, of my interest in the comic books was <clears throat> you have these moments, and some are some are really bizarre in how far they go out of their way to get political or to comment on gender. I'm thinking of. One of the last sequences I read was Jesse driving to New York to go meet up with Amy and um, Tulip. And he's listening to talk radio. Do you, do you remember that, Rob? That scene? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're getting into salvation. This is at yeah, the end I'm, of... Okay. Right. I'm just into salvation. He He's listening to a... Ultra, he's listening to an ultra, you know, feminist 
and then an ultra conservative. And he stops, he pulls over and uses the word to call in on the radio show. (laughs) And he asks what they really want. He said, tell us what you really want. And he hangs up and he gets back in his truck. Mm-hmm. And basically, the ultra-feminist says, I really, really, really want just penises. I just want a big <laughs> penis. And the ultra-conservative guy says, I really want penises too. Uh-huh. I really want big ones. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? of course. And like, that's it. And it's not like you don't see like just like, ha, ah, like laughing. It's like... Uh-huh. But they write this full, I mean, panels of their, of the talk show discussion of him pulling over, going to a telephone booth. Yeah. And there are just all these moments like that. And then there, there there's some other ones. And I just, how does it read to you now as a, and then the other thing too is, is it's ultra patriotic. Cassidy's backstory kind of ends with him declaring his love for, for America and New York City in a way that feels genuine. And different characters who are immigrants go out of their way to seem to genuinely embrace America. So what do you think, Rob? Do you have a sense of their politics based on the comic book? Do these guys come across as leaning more right than left? To you, do, do do they seem tone deaf, deaf in terms of the uh, sexual politics, and then concerning the um, the patriotism, does that read as sincere to you? The patriotism stuff is really interesting to me. I hadn't picked it up until you mentioned it to me, and it's interesting because Garth Ennis isn't American; mm-hmm. he's Irish. So maybe he's writing in some of, hey, you know, I I got here and I'm living this American dream and it's really, really awesome. And maybe he wants to write it that way. Maybe maybe that's some of that is coming from him because I absolutely believe when they're on the Empire State Building and they're talking about that stuff, that that really did seem sincere as opposed to right wing or left wing there. To me, there's like this balance where sometimes he says conservative things. Sometimes he says liberal things. And I think that's fine, you know, to have like a little, little smattering from both. Do you remember, I think he was riding, driving with his dog. There was mm-hmm. a, um, it was right after the, what the nuclear bomb was dropped. Mm-hmm. And then you see, you see the, like, I hope this isn't the same thing scene you just described because I don't remember him calling it in, but they were watching it on TV. They had the crazy right wing oh, yeah, guy. Yeah. And then they had the crazy, like I would say left wing girl. Yeah. Is that the same one where he's like, why is that thing stuck in your nose? Yes. And then he, and then he threatens to kill her children. Yes. Like that's, that's how it ends. Yeah. Like it's get- terrible. So he's like, I don't, I don't like these right wing people. Right. But then like two frames later, he goes on this rant about the liberal political correct sensibilities yes. and how it um it it's saving the world so that people don't say, you know, this word or that word or that kind of thing. So it's like you get a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You get like like get away from me on this side, get away from me on this side. I just kind of want to be macho Jesse Custer. Yeah. It seems to be an an embracing of machoism of masculinity while also fainting I think is dismissive but they do faint towards the center or the left while also being very like pro-gun pro-violence like in terms of the violence in this comic I don't get the sense of there being any interest in commentary. They they think it's awesome for a man to get his nuts bit off or shot off or, yep. you know, anybody to get a bigger gun and use it is always the, you know, the point. Um, so I, to me, it, it feels confused. And I don't know why someone would fight so hard to put that stuff in there. I don't know that what I get out of it 
is worth it. But it's interesting. The only part that interests me, I guess, is the patriotism because it comes up a lot. And especially in and after salvation, at the end of salvation, Jesse meets back up with his, um, his father's war buddy. And that again is a whole polemic on America and the troubles of America, but then how amazing it is. And, uh, I just feel like that to me seems genuine. Everything else seems like, uh, of, uh, an attempt to be funny. It's not really satirical. I think they're just trying to push buttons. And I just, I guess I kind of wished that I think Preacher maybe could have held up better if they instead found another area that could feel genuine like patriotism to explore. I would have wished they, it would have been religion. I would have wished that they would have pushed a little more into the faith of Jesse and the reality of God's existence and have those characters wrestle with that a little more rather than just being pissed at him and, 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 and not, you know, not pushing against that idea or pushing against each other at all. We're going to get to religion. I need to take you back a bit. Okay. What seemed confusing or confused to me, confused in the way it was written is his determination to protect Tulip. He wants to be a modern man mm-hmm. that has like a feminist woman who can take care of herself. Mm-hmm. He also wants to protect her. Yeah. And I can relate to some of that because of course you want to protect people you care about, but then there's so much force to, to make sure that everybody is equal. And in, so he would like, Sometimes he would say, all right, look, I, I, I believe in you. I trust you. And I, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick by you. And then what does he do? He leaves her in that room and he goes to, you know, to France and he has the big, the big fight Mm -hmm. and he leaves her. And then she kind of gets the, the better of them when they, when they meet up again. Mm -hmm. So is that his way of saying like, that she's just as powerful as him. Like, is that the writer's way of doing that? I mean, he does change Mm -hmm. so that as it goes on, it's getting to a point where he does trust her. He needs her. There's that one scene where he's like, you better come with me because there's nobody else I'd rather have. And and I believed him that moment, Mm -hmm. but then they have those other conversations where a lot of times it's in bed. Sometimes (laughs) it's in a car where he's saying, I feel this way, but I, but I also feel this other way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, no. I, I get you 100%. One of the issues I had with that storyline in, in particular was I don't, I don't think that they approached it right to say that Tulip couldn't understand why Jesse didn't want her there with him. And they tried to make it into a gender thing. And they, and they did. When reality... Jesse just saw her get her head blown off, you yeah. know, and th- there's no way that you can verify your safety, let alone anyone else's. So it's, it has nothing to do with gender in my eyes it has everything to do with him just being like, look, if you saw my head get blown off, like you wouldn't let me go. You know what I mean? It's just like, but they absolutely played it as a gender situation yeah, in the yeah. book. And, and, and that to me was confused because I, I just thought that there, if you really want to hit a gender, you would have done a better job of, of foundationally building your argument to be about gender. And then second, you, you hit the nail on the head when look at how much time Tulip spends in bed with Jesse. And, and yes. that's where <laughs> a lot of her character moments come from. Or... They come from her leaving Jesse tied up in bed and then going and talking to her friend about Jesse and then coming back and making up with Jesse, you know? Um, she is very shallow. Yeah. She's the shallowest of all the characters. Yes. Um, she, when, when they're, you're right, when they're at the bar, they're talking about dudes, they're talking about sex. Yeah. 
you know, it's as if that's all she has. That's right. There, there's a situation. Justin, close your ears. And Jesse's not around anymore. <laughs> and what does she do? She stays in bed for 30 days. Yes. Because she's weeping about it. And that's the best you can do with a woman character. Tulip, I think it's interesting because she is she's one of my favorite things about the show so far. After one episode, I was gonna say that seems to be the biggest correction that they've made with the show. Yeah, she is Tulip is a completely different character than she is in the comics. I mean, she has the connection of being a hitman, which even then is a still a very loose connection to what she is in the book. Mm -hmm. Everything else about her is different. Her backstory is really good in the book too, which I found surprising. The, you could see that's where the confusion comes out because I think, I think this kind of goes back to um, mansplaining, you know, that creature <laughs> is the genesis of mansplaining or it, it maybe is it's pinnacle, you know, kind of representation because you have all these guys who are trying to write for women a little bit or about women and they, they're not passing the Bechdel test, although the Bechdel test didn't, wasn't around back then, I don't think. Or maybe it was just then starting to get talked about. And the Bechdel test is, um, in a film, you have to have a woman talk to another. You have to have two named women talk to each other about something other than men. And I think there are some other side rules, but that's, that's the general idea. And... Um, this one does not because she goes to another named woman and then they just talk about men mm-hmm. and sex and then back to her man. And and if they really want to make it interesting, they would have made her true to her backstory, which is she was raised by a father to be tough and independent. And the tulip that you get in the comics is not independent mm-hmm. in any way. Yeah. Um, she's a she's a f- a f- a fantasy fulfillment, which is again another reason why I'm glad they're they're redoing the characters because I hate the Cassidy, Tulip, Jesse triangle in the comics where basically Jesse or Tulip um, gets suckered away by Cassidy and Cassidy professes his love and tries to get her away from Jesse. So I'm guessing that happens later on. It happens later on and it takes up way too much time mm-hmm. and it it is not interesting to me because again Tulip is not an interesting character in all of that. And I don't remember the resolution of how that triangle ends. Um in a very boring but way. <laughs> but I'm not super interested in that. There's other stuff, you know, yeah. that that I'm I'm much more interested in. Okay, so let's move on to um, Re- religion. Yeah, the second of Mr. Keith was in religion. Yeah, the second, the second of the two topics that you're not supposed to bring up in casual conversations, That's right? right? Or at the workplace, religion or politics and religion. We're knocking them over. So yeah, <laughs> we're busting down boundaries here. <laughs> so let's talk about the um, religious aspect of the show. I'll give my two cents quickly since I have not read much, but the impression that I got, and I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, is that it seems like the TV show is taking the religious aspect of it much more seriously than the than I ever got from the comics. From like I said, from the comics, it felt more like it just kind of felt more like a catalyst to tell the story than anything. It didn't really it de- it never felt like Jesse was particularly religious. Uh, he certainly didn't want to be a preacher in the comics, whereas in the show it seems like he's at least giving it a shot, right? But it just it it just it felt more. It, I guess it kind of felt um as uh thoughtful as what you guys are saying about the takes on you know gender uh, gender politics and uh, politics 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 in general. Yeah, yeah. I think that you can you can be dismissive of it. Um, because I think that they are, they're dismissive of it. Um, there are a few interesting things. I think one of the most interesting things for me is reading the, the comic as a product of its time and seeing how the culture has shifted and changed over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And I think that they're speaking to different audiences and I think it's reflected in the religiosity of of the comic 
versus the show. So mm-hmm. the comic, I think, is speaking to a much more centralized idea of the the moral majority. It's kind of coming out of that. Remember that? It was like the Republican Party then did this assault on um Hollywood and and immorality and all that stuff. And uh and then even some of the Democrats got pulled into it. So Tipper Gore, remember she came out against rap music mm-hmm. and is responsible for like parental advisory stickers and stuff. And and that was very much a central part of the American identity at that moment. And I think that the fact that preacher came out and was so audacious was a response against that. And you see it coming out a little bit here and there. Now though, I think that you have a less religious society. So studies are showing that millennials are not as interested in organized religion as previous generations. And that, you know, this kind of moral majority is not as prevalent. And you can see that as you look around, it's like, you know, uh, gay marriage is legal. Marijuana will soon be legal. I think everywhere it's slowly coming out. Um, and so I think religion becomes more of a, of something to be explored and it becomes more of a, of, of an interest piece than it is in the late nineties. Cause you know what religion looks like in the late nineties. It looks like the moral majority, you know, this crackdown on immorality specifically in the arts, mm-hmm. but now we don't really have a religious identity uh, or I think the religious identity that we, that we have, you see it slowly starting to lose its stranglehold on our culture. Um, yeah. So who, who, who do you mean when you say we, you mean the American culture? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think, I think, yeah, the, the, the American, um, culture. And I think, I think preacher comes out now It's the TV show in a place where people don't have a connection to a religious identity. So when they hear the term faith, they might not have a readily accessible corollary to that term. So for this show to take on the idea of like, what does it look like for a man to struggle with his faith? It actually has more to say now than it did back then. Because back then, you just equated it to the moral majority. Mm-hmm. I want the show to be sincere. I want the, yes, he's going to go looking for God. I hope it's a literal God, but I also hope that there's some other stuff that that he's looking for that Eugene was looking for. Mm-hmm. That like some of some of the finding his faith. I mean, he doesn't have to be in today's society. You don't have to be that moral majority to have faith, to be a faithful person. You know, you can still cuss and smoke and all that kind of stuff, you know, and still toe the line, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, like faith wise. So I think that's an interesting place since Seth Rogen's doing it. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's where I want it to go. Mm -hmm. What I don't want is the simplistic, silly version of religion that is in the comic book. Mm -hmm. That he is literally trying to kick God's butt because God quit and he he left all this stuff and he's responsible for all this all this evil and bad stuff that's around us. Right? It's like a fifth grader's version of the Catholic Church. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very short and small. And, and that's basically what like the whole series is based around. And, and I'm hoping it goes a a different way than that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, and, and I do see it just as, as a response, it feels like a rebellious response against, you know, people who were exposed to the church, maybe growing up or are frustrated with the politics of the day and they're really finding their outlet in preacher. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't hold water today when the Republican nominee is Donald Trump, a clearly irreligious goon. (laughs) Um, but, uh, um, but so, so I think it is addressing different things. And I think it has the opportunity to do that. And I like you, I do wish that they were to maybe push a little deeper and to say, you know, what would it look like if a man of faith 
really kind of tried to take some questions to God, but still kept an element of faith. And and I think that you do have precedent for that. That's not a new concept. It's not like that has never been done in the annals of, of, you know, history or even in the Bible, that there are corollaries of people in the Bible who attempted to question God or wrestled with an angel of God and came away, you know, changed by it. Um, and so I, I hope that they do try and take some of that. And I'm not looking for, obviously, I'm not looking for a evangelical, you know, kind of poem to, you know, being saved by Jesus. But I am looking for just a, a honest uh, uh, examination of faith in the context of a story that addresses faith. You, you really don't have to go out of your way. You, you kind of have to go out of your way to avoid it. And I feel like they did that in the comics. They went out of their way to avoid it and they filled their pages with, you know, this kind of gender politics, this kind of political commentary, these kind of jokes that, re- that re- you know, rely on the sexual investigators, which that joke for me never landed. And they come back later in the comic. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm just, I, I just like, I just wish that, we could have had some moments of of satirical insight or some moments of contemplation. Yeah, it's all sex jokes. They have that the one joke about having sex with cheese. Yes. I mean it's it, it, it all gets back to that. And um the God stuff is really, really I mean it's it's there, but they the 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 scene where, you know, when God is around, because you know, God is a being in this you know, in the comic, you know, the, the actual God, you know, when he is around and doing things, he seems a little, uh, wishy-washy from what I've seen in the <laughs> comics. Right. Because he's like, I think the only time I saw him was in the, uh, when they're with the family mm-hmm. and he appears in a mirror or something. And he's like, it just seems like he, I, for some reason, the impression I got was that he was like, all commanding and powerful, mm-hmm. but then he switched to almost begging kind of. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember, but I definitely got a sort of wishy-washy feel, feel to it. And I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if that's, if that's the commentary, if that was just like for story purposes, is the, is the religion of the comic, is it, zoned in on one specific like Christianity or Catholicism, or is it like just sort of like a very broad religion in general? Christianity. Okay. All right. Yeah. But do you think it's like a non Christian, non believer, denominational basically? Like like I'm someone that hasn't grown up with any form of Christianity and this is what I think it is. Is, is, is that what you would call it? Keith? Yeah, it, it it is kind of ecumenical in that way where, you know, they, um, uh, you know, I kind of go back and forth on whether or not I feel like the, like the writer and creators of this, like grew up in a religious home or if they were just outside the, the religious culture always and just wanted to comment on some things that they were seeing. Um, there's angels. There's the devil. Mm-hmm. There is the bloodline of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's God. And then that's about it. Right. And, but, but none of it is done with any depth of curiosity. You know, I mean, it's like if they had Wikipedia back then, I wouldn't have expected <laughs> these guys to look any further than a Wikipedia on mm. like, God. It's like an encyclopedia's definition. Exactly. Exactly. They they like went to their encyclopedia Britannica. They looked up God. They looked up devil. They looked up Jesus. Mm. They looked up conspiracy theory on Jesus bloodline. But, um, but you know, there's a certain specificity from people who come from a religious culture that I don't think they can get away from because they, you just so much want to parody what you experienced. And it would, I just think it would come through and I'm not getting any of that. I'm Mm. getting, 
what's bleeding through are like people who love machoism and guns and violence and stuff, you know, um, and hate and political sex. correctness and sex and drugs. Yeah. And drugs. And they're, they're, bad words. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't, I don't get the sense from any panel in this that they are, that they have any sort of insight or even cared to like check with, um, check with people. There's a, there's a really interesting, um, scene in the new Coen brothers film called hail Caesar, where, um, there's a film being made that's depicting Jesus and they get together, a rabbi, um, a Catholic priest, a Protestant and someone else to come in and like, you know, basically consult on the film. It's a great scene between them, like consulting and debating each other. Um, over a stupid movie. And uh, I don't think that these guys ever bothered to get a room like that together. Um, they just, they just went out with their own vision. So, but I think it's promising that the show seems to be going in a few more interesting directions. Yeah. I'm still excited. I mean, I, yeah. I, I after, even though the commentary was a little uh, mediocre or boring, I still really like the pilot a lot, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm excited for the second episode. Um, and we got the comics out of our system, so we don't have to focus on those. Yeah, as the season goes on. Yeah, I'm glad I read it. Keith, you have a recommendation here in the oh yeah notes. What is that about? Well, I wanted to do a recommendation session section. Okay. Um, and there's a a new um series that I've been reading. That I was, I see as a, as definitely in the vein of Preacher, and it's it's going on right now. It's called Southern Bastards. This I, is a comic. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that, Rob? I've heard of the comic. I looked it up. I I'd never heard of the writer. Yeah. Well, um, I really I really am enjoying it. I I didn't think that I would at first, but it definitely to me feels like a a comic in the vein of preacher it's you know addressing the deep south and um they have two collections out right now and the third one's coming on july and they do a major plot twist at the end of one into two um that really got me excited about it and so i would say if anyone is interested in reading um, another story like Preacher or if you enjoy Preacher, uh, right now I don't think that there's a better series going on that parallels it better than Southern Bastard. So I just wanted to throw out a quick recommendation for that. Okay. Would you recommend reading Preacher for those who hadn't? If they're this far and not completely <laughs> spoiled, uh, you know what? This is what I'll this is what I'll say about that. I feel like there are certain shows that I will never get into because too many episodes have gone by. The Good Wife is one. I've heard people love The Good Wife, and then there's some good seasons, bad seasons, but it's got over a hundred ep- episodes. There's no way I'm going back and watching all of that. Having read almost all of Preacher. There's too much preacher for me to recommend it. <laughs> you know, it it takes too long to read through. And the end result to me is not worth it, especially with the show going so far the other way. Um, If there were maybe less, if it was a more limited run, I'd say, yeah. Um, And if there weren't other things to read, like East of West or like I said, Southern Bast- Bastards. Those, I think, would scratch the same itch and you can get in on now. Um, but, uh, but no, I think, I think Preacher is, is a good testament of its time. But if, unless you have a connection to the 90s or, um, I, I don't, or, or Vertigo, I don't know. I don't know why this would appeal to you. I think it's a quick read. Um, I think that only being 66 issues, I mean, it seems daunting, but the issues fly by. 
Um, I think it's funny in places. I think it's, you know, atrocious in other places. We've also been um, reading it in a time crunch, too. So, y- yeah, you're you're not at liberty to sort of take your time with it, Keith. You're, you've mm-hmm. been trying to finish it as quickly as possible. So yeah. that could be feeding into it. It could be. It definitely feels. It might not be the longest run series out there. It might not be long in comparison. I think it feels long for the for the joys that I got out of it. Mm-hmm. But but but, but it has some high. It definitely has some high notes. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna deny. I've I've enjoyed reading through it. But if somebody's like, "Hey, man, I got I got time for one series. What do I fit in?" Preacher's not gonna be in the top. 10 probably so rob obviously you recommended it to us would you would you would is it more of a qualified recommendation now that you've reread it or is it still like can you still get into it like you did when you were 16 or however old i'm not getting into it like i like when i was 16 um the the language and the sex and the violence doesn't phase me like you know doesn't uh excite me like it did like what's that one page where there's all these tanks and hair star says i've got an erection yeah like that that's not happening for me this time yeah but i'm still enjoying my time with it i would recommend it if if you had if i had to recommend five series for you to read it wouldn't be in those top five right um but it depends what you're looking for you know i've read a lot of comics so it would really be depending on on what you were looking for i still think it's funny i think it's it's i think it's funnier the later it goes when you get like i think some of the first few um, not series storylines. You know they kind of like put a bad taste in your mouth, especially you, Justin. I mean, it's like I, I get that. Um, you know, and then there's some stuff that we just don't find funny anymore. But I, I think there's still some humor in it. I like the violence. What can I say? Um, <laughs> I like the guns. <laughs> That's for you, Keith. Yeah, yeah those those gun grabbers or whatever. Right. Those gun lovers, whatever. Um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'd recommend it. Absolutely. I think it makes watching the the show interesting because I'm going to be able to compare and contrast. I'm not going to bring it all the time. Right. Um, But yeah, I'm really looking forward to the show. And if it wasn't for the, the, the comic and the show, you know, we wouldn't have the podcast. So I think it's all cool. There you go. Well, thanks for listening to Everything is Television. We will be back next week to discuss the second episode. Uh, you can su- you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. You can check out the show notes or our website, eipodcast.com, for any of the uh, links that we talked about or for links to the uh, to the uh, to subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at eipodcasts. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at things come right. I'm at shiny underscore Rob. Uh, we would love to hear any feedback or disagreements, agreements, anything you have to say. Contact us through uh, however you feel appropriate or most <laughs> comfortable. Um, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Hey, Rob.